0: Hey y'all,
1: I'm Jen Horan Jeff, founder of Savvy Cooperative, and I'm thrilled to be here on the Offscript Media Network to talk to you about a dirty little word, non-compliant. Because patients are labeled non-compliant all the time, but more often than not, it's because the system hasn't been designed in a way that works for them. I truly believe that patients have the power to influence the future of healthcare. So join me as we take on healthcare and challenge the status quo, because sometimes noncompliance is what moves the needle. Well, hey there, Matt.
0: Me? (laughs) You. What brings you back, though? What's our aggrieved discussion tonight about?
1: Well, today somebody forwarded me an interesting article that they caught before I did that came out in the New York Times. Take
0: two people that have read brain tumors in the same room (laughs) and try to get them to coagulate on a thought.
1: To figure out the Gregorian calendar. Yes. Yes. Um, So today, I was sent an article from a friend and colleague who said, hey, Jen, you might be interested in this. And most certainly I was because the article itself was asking about Sort of the ethical questions around what a clinical trial participant is sort of owed for their contribution to innovations.
0: So like a quid pro quo, by helping save my life potentially and helping you make a bunch of money getting a drug to market, you then have recompense for, what, paying my mortgage for the rest of my life or something?
1: Wouldn't that be nice? But I think that it comes back to the conversation around value exchange. And what does it mean for somebody to be contributing to, in this case, a for-profit company that will then hopefully go and make money because they've made a good drug? But what about the people that are literally putting their lives on the line?
0: So this is a less lethal version of the pay your patients to speak at a conference.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know if it's less lethal. This could certainly be more controversial, but it's right up my alley. So I'll tell you why. That this particular article, which is an op-ed in the New York Times, let me tell you the title of it, The Stressful Conclusion of a Clinical Trial, that is the name of the title, and it goes on to say, Does a pharma company... Have a moral obligation to acknowledge my participation with an ongoing supply of the product that I helped test. So in this case, they're saying, Hey, I was in this trial. Shouldn't I now get that medication for free because I was part of this? What do you think?
0: So that person is likely to not get that product for free (laughs) when it goes to market. And she, I'm gonna, I think today's word is recompense as recompense for her donating her potential life and death biology to the study, should she be entitled to free meds for life, like get out of jail free card? Yeah. What do you think? I think it makes sense. I don't think a private sector economy would ever allow that to happen because it doesn't make shareholders richer. But who knows?
1: Well, that that goes back to the fact that I think that, you know, that companies that are working in such a space – should actually be public benefit corporations for that sole purpose, that they do need to balance this with shareholder value. So what is that public good? So that's, that's a whole other situation to unpack. But in this case, around clinical trials, are you sitting down, Matt?
0: I actually am sitting down. Excellent. I normally do the standing up, but for you, I'm sitting, sitting down. Sitting down.
1: It's a long day. So my belief someday is that patients that participate in clinical trials have equity in that company or that drug or brand that they helped bring to market. So not only just a free supply for you, but that you can continue to reap the benefits on a small scale. But please, I think about my friends who participated in, say, the Humera clinical trials, the you know big blockbuster drug. Not a sponsor. <laughs> but I mean, really. So, And I'm sure that is going to be a very controversial opinion. But I think we need to start to be really considering the value that participants bring and not just paying it forward for future generations, but what do they see personally for putting their bodies on the line?
0: You used some syllables before that confounded me. What is a public benefit corporation?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked, Matthew. And
0: thank you for not acronyming it. A PBC? Ah. (laughs) (laughs) A,
1: A public benefit corporation is a legal entity that ensures that you have to balance the public good that your company establishes with shareholder value. So what that means is that if you decide to give your employees a day off because you believe in that or, you know, Patagonia being a public benefit corporation, they want people to go outside. And so that means they give employees time off to go do that. Um, Savvy Cooperative is actually also a public benefit corporation.
0: I've heard of that group.
1: <laughs> and we yes, yeah, so we are a mouthful because we are a public benefit co-op. So we have a public good established to make sure that we are including people's lived experiences and design. And what that means is that if you need to spend money to do your public good, your shareholders can't sue you because you have established it in your charter. And should there also be any change in leadership or direction, it is instilled in your legal structure so it cannot be changed.
0: You just maybe cross-eyed, but I think I got the gist of what you just said. My job is to semi-understand you.
1: (laughs) Well, it just comes down to the fact that you have to balance not only making money but doing what's right for hopefully the people that you're trying to serve.
0: So in this proverbial what-if machine that we're discussing, what could it possibly look like from an infrastructural private sector shareholder-backed billion-dollar company to decide one day it's in our fiscal interests and growth goals and shareholders stake value words that I don't know what I'm saying to actually do this has that conversation even remotely ever happened in industry?
1: Yes, and it's exciting. Um, you know, I'll I'll throw out some fabulous people. So, friend Ethan Perlstein, who started Perlara Labs, was a public benefit corporation. It is on pause right now, but their model around getting patients with very rare diseases, you know, n of one type studies that allowed essentially families of these, you know, individuals that were affected to figure out, you know, some other sort of structures. And I know I won't go into detail and I certainly Thank you for not going to I detail. wouldn't be authorized to speak on all these things, but just trying to figure out how can we bring the people that would be participants in these trials into the fold sooner and to give them some ownership stake in what becomes of it. So I think that these are really interesting models that we need to explore.
0: All right, so I'm learning a lot about the rare disease space, as I've discussed on this show for many, many months, working with Nord, and I can't quite comport the rare disease space from your what-if machine here to the oncology space, because oncology could have trials that affect 150,000, 300,000, 500,000 people, and rare disease could affect 200 people. It makes more sense to me as the armchair idiot on this side of the conversation to think that it is in the interest of the groups working in rare disease with smaller populations to get that equity to those patients because – I can't finish that sentence. <laughs> Whatever I'm trying to say, I think you understand what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, because it's a it's a smaller population and there need to be incentives there and those individuals will most likely not only be in the trial but then – supposedly taking that medication afterwards. And you think about the the really ultra rare conditions. How do you galvanize people to participate? And one way is to give them ownership.
0: So is this payola to consumers? Is it in their interest to do this because they're getting legally bribed? in their fiscal interest? <laughs> I don't is it skullduggery? Legally, a word I'm going to use no, on this show? I, skullduggery?
1: I love the word, but I do not believe that giving people ownership in things is skullduggery. I think it is an equitable way of acknowledging somebody and a more you know, fair value exchange.
0: You used value exchange again.
1: Well, I Was do that. Is that your
0: version? That's your word for the show. Okay.
1: <laughs> hey, I mean, for somebody who runs a co-op, it's my everyday word. I'm just going to go phrase. back to
0: recompense. I look at trials still as the boogeyman conversation. And we've been having this discussion in oncology and consumer protection and patient advocacy for, for 30 years. Clinical trials is a terrible phrase because it seems to imply continuously that you're a guinea pig, which you kind of are, but how do you not want to be made to feel that way. And this idea of selfless giving to help the next person is not, it's not the American way, is it?
1: Well, I think it should be. It, it should be. But at the same time, a lot of people do participate in clinical trials for that or any kind of research. And that's fabulous. And that gets you only so far, though, even if somebody does not need any additional sort of compensation or ding 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 value exchange
0: i don't really have a button to push
1: that's why i made noises for us
0: we can do our own noises i
1: preempted that (laughs) that regardless of the fact that they may be doing it out of the goodness of their heart it still does bring value and i think that's the part that people need to really sit with is that it does have value it doesn't matter what somebody does with said exchange. It just still needs to be acknowledged.
0: Right. So this is the first I'm hearing of this. And it sounds really interesting. It sounds like something, why wouldn't you want to do a trial anyway? And let alone, here's an opportunity to make some money while doing it at the same time and convincing industry that it is in their interest to do this for what?
1: Well, I think that what you're coming down to around that they can make some money. This is always a challenge when you talk in the pharmaceutical industry or healthcare industry is, you know, was there, is there going to be bias there? What, what are people's motivations? But in a world where we are severely lacking diversity in trials, in, you know, insights and other aspects of redesigning and innovating in the healthcare ecosystem, we really need to think about all the different ways that we are trying to bring other people into the fold. And so, you know, coming back to this op-ed talking about a supply of that medication that they brought to market, I think that that's at least a good baseline if you don't want to give any sort of additional profits beyond that.
0: So there's a two-phase approach to this. One is at least get them on the drug for free. And the second one is compensate them with an equity stakeholdership in exchange for being part of the research that got the drug to market.
1: See, you said so many big words in a row. Uh,
0: Syllables. (laughs) That's our show. (laughs) Syllables, value exchange, and recompense.
1: Uh, Sounds like a Schoolhouse Rock episode.
0: Now I got to find the... We got to get some underscoring of the Schoolhouse Rock theme. (laughs) And some cartoons. I really hope somebody does some cartoons of us. How a trial becomes a policy. I don't know. Well, no, but I think
1: that's a really great idea. (laughs) A little I'm sure somebody's made that. A clinical trial Schoolhouse Rock-esque video. We're
0: going to have to do that. I don't think it's been done.
1: If you're listening out there. (laughs) If you're hearing
0: the sound of my voice. (laughs) If
1: you are a musician and cartoonist and you would like to help us create said little ditty please call
0: in it really is a fascinating philosophy it's nice to know that it's not just dogma but it's being i guess teased into business practice in you mentioned that there were companies that have been doing this is it setting a trend is it making any noise is it getting into the trades and can they show that it's kind of like um, you know, uh w- when they legalized cannabis in Colorado, everyone lost their shit. But Colorado has like they quadrupled their economy by doing it. And every th- every other state is like, oh, me too now. Is there a Me Too Now version of this where they're showing massive profits and better drugs getting the market by implementing the shareholder free drug thing, and other groups are going to be like, oh, we should be doing that.
1: I wish that I had more examples of this, but I think that we are seeing the tide shift towards people accepting that perhaps other models are beneficial. I mean, Mark Cuban is supporting of, you know, public benefit corporations in the healthcare space. Let's get him on the
0: show. So let's do that. Dear Mark Cuban, (laughs) clearly he's listening.
1: Obviously. (laughs) But- I mean, that's really what we're hoping with Savvy Cooperative to be able to show that this is, in fact, a sustainable model for us as a patient-owned co-op, that as we are helping companies gain insights from patients – it's the patients that are essentially doing the work, right? We have a gig economy marketplace where the patients are the ones offering the insights. So that's why it did not feel right for myself in a small group of people to be profiting off the backs of our patient peers. And so what we did is we gave patients ownership in our cooperative. So as we become profitable because of them, that they get to share in that upside and share in our profits because it only feels fair, especially as a patient. It just feels icky to be part of a cycle
0: that is extractive. Well, you didn't ask to be there in the first place.
1: No. And I think it comes back to the fact that people dismiss patient insights as being valuable and that it's just expected to you know pay it forward and to share out of the goodness of their hearts, which again... Many people do. I do. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't have value.
0: Hashtag ask patients.
1: Let's do that all day, every day.
0: (laughs) I think what's the most fascinating takeaway for me in this conversation is that this conversation in and of itself wouldn't exist if patients themselves didn't start it. This is not some aha revelatory idea that would trickle down from industry.
1: No, I do not believe so. I mean, it comes back to sort of even why I personally went on this journey with Savvy. I did not mean to start a company. I was an academic by training, and I just saw it happen over and over and over again asking patients for their insights for free or not looking out for their best interests. And with that, seeing that we need a new model to protect patients. That is why I did this, because I didn't think that others would take the time or care in such a way to make sure that patients were protected.
0: I think as follow-up to this conversation, we should get one of those pharma folks that did this and have them talk about why they did it and what, what it meant to do it.
1: Well... I don't really necessarily know what pharma person you're talking about because I don't know pharma companies that are giving equity away, but uh, I can certainly bring in some people that are thinking about this stuff.
0: the proverbial pharma person that doesn't (laughs) exist yet.
1: Yes. Future
0: pharma legend, CEO guy.
1: I know. We have not ostracized them all with this really uncomfortable conversation that they are listening to.
0: Really fascinating stuff. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. I feel slightly spotter and a little more stupid for hearing it.
1: Well, it just takes us waking up and having challenging conversations to move the needle.
0: Dear Pharma, ask patients.
1: Let's do that. So. Are you ready to challenge the status quo? Well, join me as we take on healthcare. Whether you're a patient who wants to share your story or a company who needs that valuable patient input. Well, come on over to Savvy Cooperative. Visit us at www.savvy.coop. I'm Jen Horanjo. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Noncompliant.
0: That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.